Hi there, everyone. It's me, uh, your best friend, Editor Marvin. Um, California was great. Thank you for asking. And I am speaking to you now just to let you know that I am finally using my desk again, so I no longer have to edit the program while on the floor. So anyone at all, feel free to weigh in after this episode uh, to let me personally know uh, whether it is better or worse with this new setup, which is the same as my original setup. Anyway, here's the show. Hello. <laughs> Hi. I'm still laughing over boo, bitch. Go eat a leaf. Yeah, we were talking about Abby does like a slideshow of, of all our pets for her students during I don't know what lesson. I assume you're talking about animals. Yeah, because I can't have pets in my apartment, so I just steal my friends as and pets. And she's like, yeah, I have one class that likes dogs and one class that likes cats and one cat class that likes turtles. And I'm like, what? And then I was trying to remember where I'd seen a turtle and it was this tortoise at the vet's office where I take my cats. And it, she has a little name tag on her on her terrarium that says Heidi Technician. But the one time I was there, Heidi just stared holes in me the entire time. She even walked over her tomatoes just to get a better look at me. There are a lot of pictures of this tortoise someone's, on her The phone. soul of someone's judgmental auntie is trapped inside this tortoise. <laughs> and I sent a picture to the group chat when it happened, and Kelly was like, why is she fucking staring at you? Boo, bitch, go eat a leaf. And Jack and I still say, boo, bitch, go eat a leaf around the house. It's a great line. It is a great line. It's whenever, a great line. Whenever someone is just, like, too much in your business, like, boo, bitch, go eat a leaf. <laughs> like a postmodern sometimes go eat your lettuce and be sad literally sometimes my stomach though is like i'm eating something and my stomach is like boo bitch go eat a leaf i need to poop welcome to your 30s listen listen i can't be all pizza and meatballs all the time okay we need to have a salad or some carrots or something Meanwhile, I'm over here. I had cereal for breakfast, pasta for lunch, and pasta for dinner. Like, oh yeah, like a la, champ. La 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 la. I'm not listening to you. I don't know what we're talking about. You didn't want to poop, right? Salad. Who's she? Who's she? Never heard of her. Sounds nice. I got some carrots in the fridge. If you want? Why was I like, ooh, carrots? Once again, <laughs> 30s. I recently. I turned, know you went. Oh. I recently <laughs> like, turned really? 30, so now when people ask me, <laughs> how old I'm like, 30. Mm-hmm. It does take some adjustment. Well, not really, because you and Jack always fucking round up, and you've been calling me 30 since I was, like, 28 and a half. No, we were calling you 30, like, in August. Mm, no, because you guys are like, well, we're 30. And I'm like, bitch, spring babies, Pisces and Aquarius-looking-ass bitches, y'all are 30. Now I'm also 30. I am, huh. now, I am now y'all. Time has bitten you in the ass <laughs> once again. Time continues to pass, despite my repeated objections. <laughs> My little cousins, who I remember changing their diapers, turned 18. And now what? I totally... Did I talk about this already on the podcast? It turned 18? I don't care, because I'm old and I'm going to talk about it again. Yeah, they did. And so now I'm like, <laughs> you know when you're like 18 mm-hmm. and like your old ass cousin is like, I remember changing your diapers. And you're like, of course you do. You're fucking old. Now it's me. Now it's you. Now it's me. And I'm like, oh no. Now yeah. you're the old ass cousin. Now I'm the old ass cousin. Yeah. Who's, and it's like, naturally, you've always been old. And it's like, I have The not. old ass, like, poop hand covered. Yeah, yeah. Cousin. Right. Like, I was changing their diapers when I was like 12. And yeah. that's a uh, weird time weird. again. Weird. Time continues apace. <clears throat> How are they doing, by the way? Um, good as far as one of them is dating like a guy in his early 20s and I'm like mm, okay Germany don't like that but alright um, they may or may not be able to make it to my wedding because apparently that's the week of their like final exams Ugh. so who knows 
Hmm, once again, Germany. I hope I get to meet them. I've heard so much about... Well, no, I've, I've met them when they were really little. Yeah. Like, six or something. Yeah, I haven't seen them in person since they were, like, tweens, maybe. Yeah. So, but, I hope I get to see them and meet them and make a fool out of myself in front of them, because I'm going to be drunk <laughs> as a skunk. <laughs> and literally, I just love that Kelly was... Kelly literally pulled me aside at her birthday, and she was like how do you feel about Liz's parents seeing you drunk at the wedding? And I was like, don't feel great about it, Cal, but you know what? What can you do? My parents... Had to happen sooner or later, and I'm 30 now, so... My parents saw me drunk when I was a maid of honor, and I didn't even realize how drunk I was until I tried to sing karaoke, and I just could not. Like, I could not <laughs> find the key. All right, I'm not going to be that bad. But I was just Maybe. like, what? Anyway. Anyway. Hi! Here's Wonderwall. I was 21. This was the wedding party. I may have talked about this on the podcast. So I was in this wedding party. <laughs> my ex. Oh, this is this is queer culture. Are you listening, straights? <sighs> this is this is dumb gay shit. Volume seventy billion to two. Mm-hmm. Um, so my ex, who has since come out as trans, so she's, but she at the time was a groomsman. So mm-hmm. um, my ex was a groomsman. I was the maid of honor. The girl that my ex cheated on me with and dumped me for was also a bridesmaid. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to become a thruple with one of the other bridesmaids who I also had a crush on, whose brother was a groomsman and I had a crush on him as well. Mm-hmm. And then they dumped the other bridesmaid that I had a crush on before the wedding and we all had to be in this wedding together. Mm-hmm. And then the best, the f- other bridesmaid was dating the best man. And then there was my friend, Steven, who just was Switzerland and all this. <laughs> so that was a hot mess and then at the bachelorette party i had grown accustomed to paying like minneapolis prices for drinks and then Uh i went back home to my small hometown and everything cost like three dollars and i got so drunk i chased my ex's new girl down the street making bat noises because i knew that she was afraid (laughs) of bats yeah we have told that story and then I, I got so ill, and the other bridesmaid yep. who I had a crush on had to clean me up and tuck me in. And then I woke up in the morning so hungover, and everybody was at IHOP, and they were like, when you wake up, join us at IHOP. And these assholes wanted to sit out in the August sun on the patio, hungover. And I was just like, <laughs> I am a raisin. Bring me pancakes. <laughs> I am a raisin in the sun. <laughs> so awful. <laughs> um, yeah, I... Uh... Oh, also... Can I share your wedding news about your shopping experience? Sure. We went dress shopping for Elle, and it went it went it went well. Everything looked great on her. There was not a single dress that I was like, "Oh my god, ew, that's terrible." Everybody so. was like, "Why can't you look bad in a dress?" I was like, "Well, because I only picked dresses that I will look good in." <laughs> See, I don't even know. So then they were like, "Okay, well, we're gonna make you try a bad one on," and they were like. They asked the sales lady, they're like, there are some here that are like, have some 2003-ass vibes. Can you please grab one of those? And she did. She really did. It had like a it it had like a mermaid cut, which is the worst for me. It also had like... It had a corset back. Yeah, the back was like a corset, like, I was you like, know, a prom dress the back dress of this dress looks like a sneaker? What is Yeah, happening? she's like, why does this look like a shoe? I heard her from the dressing room. This looks like a and shoe. And then I was trying to get in, but she hadn't like unlaced the corset enough, and so I couldn't get it over my shoulder, so I have my arms over my head. <laughs> the top of the dress is like... At my elbows. Elbows are over my head at this point. Bottom of the dress is around my knees. And mm. I get stuck. <laughs> and this is so funny to me that I start laughing. And then I'm, like, weak from laughing. And I can't get the rest of the way into the dress. So I have to, like, get the door open and ask the sales lady for help. And she just, see, it was just ridiculous. Um, 
Anyway, it did not look great. It still looked like a shoe from the back. Where was I going with this? I don't oh, know. because the other one that I kind of wanted to try on was the one that looked kind of like. It looked like it should be like a slutty Bjork Halloween costume. <laughs> like it looked like her swan dress, but with it's no dead. swan head. And I'm I was really like, what if tight. I bought that dress and I went as Slutty Bjork or Slork, if you will. And everybody was like, stop talking. <laughs> I just tried my microphone and it hit my glass of beer. Sorry. This is like the time we were playing um, some kind of Sorry, Jackbox game and there was a multiple choice question. And one of the answers was shark cartilage. And Jackie went, I'll take shark cartilage or shartilage, if you will. And I was like, I We were not. like, we won't. So <laughs> we I got her back not. with Slork like a year later. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so that happened. And then I told all my students about it because we were talking about our weekends because I'm trying to introduce them to, like, the past tense. And uh, they're, they're like, I did, like, I did this and I did that. And I, you know, and then they're like, what did you do? And I was like, oh, I, you know, I could say I watched Malignant. Or I could say. That I went wedding dress shopping. So I said that I went wedding dress shopping. But of course, in Spanish, the syntax is such that it's like, I went to shop for a wedding dress for my best friend. Like, it wasn't like, so like, I was like, I went to to shop for a wedding dress. And I was wearing a dress, so I just sort of like gestured. Mm-hmm. And then when I said boda, I was like, dun, 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 dun. And all of them were like, what? <gasps> and I was like, not for me, not for me. <laughs> Although she did want Jesus to try Christ. on some of these wedding dresses just for fun. I did. I think it would be fun. I, 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 I want a pantsuit, like a jumpsuit situation, and everyone has given me grief about it. What? Everyone has, like, hated on my jumpsuit. Your mom thought I was kidding about the jumpsuit. Oh, whatever. Well, my mom's old. Love you, mom. <laughs> but you don't listen to this podcast, and you, also mom, you're old. But you don't listen, and you're old. <laughs> Anyway, shall we, now that it's been 10 minutes of pummel babble, shall we, uh... Yeah, at least we didn't talk about fucking Redacted, the co-worker whose dick I want to break off. Yeah. Well, anyway, hi! <laughs> I'm Abby! And I'm Ellie! And this, this is, is like the Queers for Fears podcast! podcast where we talk about co-workers genitalia that we want to break off mm, that sounds really bad but you know <laughs> you know maybe if you were a patreon supporter you would know what we we're talking about you wouldn't i'm not <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to know maybe someday yeah more you these. don't have to know <laughs> yeah now this is all right now we have to explain this Abby oh, was trying no. to put the moves on this guy, but her friends I was were like, not. Abby's drunk. We're going to tuck her into bed. And then he's like, good night, drunk lady. And she's like, yeah, I don't know how to go. And like pats the empty spot on the bed next to her. Exceptionally drunkenly. Smooth AF. How old were you? Mm, old enough to know better. <laughs> she's not even going to say. Like 25. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. I made a 26. lot of dumb decisions when I was like 24. Yeah. Like they say that you make all your stupid decisions. Well, I made some stupid decisions in my early 20s. I finally acknowledged to my mom for the first time that that time she had to bail me out because I had missed my flight home from Spain. It was because I was drunk. She was like, we knew you were drunk, but we weren't going to say it. I know. <laughs> it's like so good. Wow. Like, honestly, my parents passed on an opportunity to judge someone for like an illicit substance. Decision. For something that they like do not partake yeah, in ever yes. at all. Growth. Yeah. Growth. We see it. We love to see it. Anyway. Anyway. 
Today we're going to talk about the movie uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And if you're thinking to yourself, wow, didn't they release a movie so last week? You'd be right. But I wanted to do this whole spooky thing for September. But then most of September got away from us. (laughs) Um, Listen to the last episode to find out why. And um, so now we're just doing spooky whenever the fuck we want. So Yeah, we're doing movies our own month. Movie so timber tober. We'll workshop it. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I was said like, that. hello? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sorry I said that. <laughs> um, um, but today's episode is going to be about inv- the original 1956 invasion of the body snatchers. And then I'm going to talk about real life body snatching. Bitching. Yeah. So I was like, this reminds me of Capgras delusion. And then I looked it up on Wikipedia and to yeah, make sure I was right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was like, the culture section is like, the 1956 movie, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I was like, oh, man. Here I go thinking I'm yeah. having an original thought. And it's just me. I'm the original thought. Yeah. With no original thoughts well, of my own. Well, because also, like, I, I Googled this. I was like, because I was trying to figure out, like, what else to talk about with mm-hmm. the movie, you know? And I was like, is this a, is this a political statement because you know like in the 50s everything yeah. was about like anti-communism yep. so i found some that said yes and some that said no so it seems to be an interesting mix so like um okay i'm trying to decide if i want to like <laughs> just really long <laughs> because i'm looking uh, at the audacity <laughs> it looks like a penis head empty it's it just like, like a giant dick I tried to have that thought, and it was like that scene in SpongeBob where Patrick is thinking, but his thought bubble is just him on like a coin-operated like horsey ride. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so I'm gonna go over what happens in the movie first, and I'm gonna like talk about kind of the political message. Yes. As I go along, try to try to like summarize it in like 15 minutes, mm-hmm. 20 minutes. Press X to doubt. Well, so the I movie- mean the summary in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like 15 okay. to 20 minutes, but the rest, like... I always think that I've done that, and then it's like... No, it's like an hour. Minute 55 of this recording, I'm like, boop. <laughs> so, I don't even know what any of these fucking characters are called, because, all right, not to be racist against white guys, but every time I watch a movie from the 1950s where all these guys are dressed the same... Nobody's... They all have the same haircut. I'm sorry. Everything's in black and white. Nobody has ever said not to be racist against white guys. I know, it was... It That's not a fucking thing. It was joke. Your blind was accordion. Um, <laughs> Doctor Miles like J. Three people got that joke. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, that's for them. Um, Doctor Miles J. Banal, played by Kevin McCarthy, and Becky Driscoll, played by Dana Winter, are our protagonists. Um, so anyway, now I'm looking at. There's this like uh, movie clip teased on YouTube, but this is definitely a still from. This looks like a still from the Wicker. I don't know. Anyway, none of my Well, because there's a remake in, like, the 70s with Jeff Goldblum. Oh. All right. And then there's another one in 2007 with Nicole Kidman called The Invasion. Huh. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, I think... Or maybe 2006. One of those. Anywho, it's told as, like, a frame story. So it opens with this guy who's been arrested or detained by the police somehow, and he's being assessed by a psychiatrist at the police station. He's like, no, no, you have to believe me. I'm not crazy. I promise. Yeah. Here's what happened. Here's my totally normal human being story. Totally average, perfectly normal. So he returns from a medical conference to the town of Santa Maria, California, where he is like the town doctor. And his nurse is like, oh, there have been so many people who want to, who have been wanting to see you while they're gone and they won't see anybody else. But like he goes to his doctor's office and like everybody is like, oh, no, it's actually not a big deal. Or, you know, oh, no, it's fine now. And he's like, all right, well, that was kind of a weird waste of time. 
And then his old flame, Becky Driscoll, comes by, and she's like, my cousin is convinced that our uncle is, like, an imposter somehow, that he's been, like, replaced by, like, a, a double of himself. He's, like, not himself somehow. Yep. And he's like, weird flex, but okay. What if we went on a date? I still love you. And she's like, uh, so... <laughs> Then yeah, he was really creepy in this whole movie. Yeah, so then he's, like, driving home, I guess, and he almost runs over this little kid who's flipping out, um, and he, like, uh, I'm trying to think how this all happens. Anyway, the little kid eventually is, is brought in for an assessment because he believes that his mom has been replaced by a double. And now the doctor is like, well, this is weird. Um, so then he takes his old flame, Becky, out on a date, and they go out to dinner, and as they pull up to wherever they're getting dinner, they bump into, like, the local psychiatrist who's like yeah i've been treating a bunch of people who claim that you know like their loved ones have been replaced by doubles like it seems to be some kind of mass hysteria isn't that weird haha anyway enjoy your dinner so they're about to sit down to a martini when his friend jack calls him and it's like you have to come over here i can't tell you why but it's an emergency he's like all right fucking great so he goes over there and his friend jack and jack's wife teddy are like don't call the police okay and he's like um no guarantees (laughs) so he goes into their like rec room basically and on the pool table is what appears to be the dead body and the body appears to be of a man who just like has very non-specific features but is about jack's height and weight okay really quick i hate it when people say dead body doesn't body imply that it is already dead no i have a body and i'm alive no and anyway this guy wasn't dead so i'm saying dead body because he only appeared to be dead anywho so they're like, well, who the fuck is this? Well, he's roughly Jack's size and shape. Well, that's kind of unusual. Like, let's take his fingerprints. And the guy's fingerprints are totally blank. I need you to know that I called that before it happened. And they're just like, saying. wow, hate that. And so this guy is, like, starting to get an inkling. He's like, I just have a bad feeling about this. And before, and then at some point he, okay, so he's like, you know, they're like, what do we do? And he's like, if in the morning nothing has happened, you know, and this guy is still dead, call the cops. And if something happens in the night, call me. So he drops, <laughs> both, and both of us are like, um, okay. So he drops off Becky at home, and then he goes home, but then he, he's, like, starting to piece together this whole thing with the doubles and this, like, weird body that looks almost like his friend, but, like, not quite done becoming his friend. And he's mm-hmm. like, holy shit, Becky. So he runs back to <laughs> Becky's house where she lives with her dad, and he finds what appears to be a double of Becky in the cellar. And he gets Becky out of there, and he goes back to Jack's place, and he's like, holy shit. Or no, he goes back to his place, and Jack and Teddy show up because they were keeping watch over this, like, creepy body on their pool table. And it completely transformed into Jack, including a cut that he sustained on his yeah. hand in an earlier scene and, like, woke up. So they fled yeah. to um, to Dr. Bunnell's house. And so, like, this thing fucking woke up. He's like, word, I found a double with Becky in the basement. Like, this is weird. They call the psychiatrist. And, of course, when they go back to look at both of these doubles, they're gone. And then a cop shows up, is like, oh, yeah, that mysterious body, like, turned up in a fire of some kind. You know, get out of here, scram. And so they're like, okay. I'm like, of course it's going to be fucking gone. Mm-hmm. Um, Both of us were like, well, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah, did you think it was going to, like, sit around being like, well, now I've been caught. No. <laughs> I've been caught, so I might as well just wait here. Yeah, yeah. No. So, the, but the town psychiatrist doesn't believe him. Like, that's because he's already been body snatched, duh. Um, so then they kind of, like... They all are staying at Miles's house, like, just in case, because they're like, something weird is definitely going on. And while they're grilling out in the backyard, um, and he, so in the meantime, Miles goes back to work, and the little boy who thought his mom had been replaced is now acting totally normal. Mm-hmm. 
And Becky's cousin, who thought her uncle had been replaced, is like, I was wrong. I was just being silly. Don't mind me. And he's like, hmm, what could that be about? So then he goes back home to grill out with Becky and Jack and Teddy. And he, like, steps into his greenhouse for a moment. And he sees these giant, like, seed pods, like, foaming and bubbling and erupting into doubles of all four of them. And they're like, whoa, holy shit, like, this is definitely deliberate. You know, okay, when did this start to happen? It seems like the doubles started to emerge while the principals were asleep. So they're like, as long as we don't fall asleep, it seems like they can't body snatch us. Like, it seems like they take over when we're asleep. So he's like, Jack, Teddy, you get out of town. He's like, I'm going to try and call for help. But the operator is extremely mysteriously unhelpful. And he's like, fuck, they're on to us. So they try and skip town. And um, he's like, I'm going to go to my nurse's house and ask her for help. But he gets to her house and there's like a whole bunch of them with these like mysterious pods. Um, like, and they're about to replace the nurse's daughter. And he's like, oh, fuck, like everybody in town has turned into the pod people. So he and Becky managed to escape to his office, like his, his practice. Um, and he's like, we're going to wait for Jack and Teddy to come get us and come help us. And the next morning, they're like looking out the window and they see like these huge trucks from local farmers full of these pods show up in the town square and they're distributed to all the townspeople who have like friends and relatives in neighboring towns. And it's like, okay, if you have a friend or relative in this town, get your pod from this truck and like take it and like replace, you know, your loved ones in this other town. And they're like, Oh, Holy fuck. And they hear Jack's voice outside and they're like, thank fuck. And it's like Jack and the psychiatrist and Jack has obviously been body snatched. And so they're like, okay, here are your pods. You're going to be body snatched. It's going to be fine. Enjoy, you know. And then they manage to escape, and they try and get to the highway to, like, hitch a ride to another town. Um, but they end up in this abandoned mine shaft, and they've been awake for, you know, all night, like, fleeing from the bad guys. And eventually, um, Miles leaves Becky alone for a hot second because he hears what he thinks is someone singing a love song. And so he thinks that person is a human, but it's just a radio. And he, when he returns, Becky has fallen asleep in the mine shaft and been body snatched. So the mechanism is not entirely clear. Like, it seems like... So I was waiting for, like, the creatures from the pods to emerge and, like, kill the real versions of themselves. But it seems like what happens, like, is that once the body snatchers have, like, decided to body snatch you, they, like, put a pod, like, in your car or your house or something... Mm -hmm. And then, like, the double of you emerges, but then it's not clear how the real you disappears, because there's no, there's no, like, pods in the mine shaft. just, like, Becky, yeah. like, they escape from the body snatchers, Becky falls asleep, and then when she wakes up, she's a pod person. That's my only beef with this movie. Yeah, it does, like, the mechanism is not really clear. And I get mm -hmm. it, I get it, I feel like, in the past, like, 20 years or so audiences have become more insistent on like kind of seeing how the sausage is made in terms of how the horror works. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes vagueness works better. Like I've talked about this with like uh drag me to hell. Like there's no yeah. like scientific, like, Oh, you're actually descended from this person. And that's why the yeah. curse was passed. down. it's just like, no, you made this lady manage to put a curse on you. Like that's yeah. it. And sometimes that's scarier. And it seems mm -hmm. like less, less try hard to just be like, I don't know, just some scary shit is happening. Dealing, deal with it. Yeah. And it's, it's also kind of like a 50s thing, too, because when the doctor tries to kill a double, you don't see anything. So I also think it's kind of like a rating thing, too. Of like, yeah, well, we can't be... show these body snatchers, like, murdering the original person. 
because that'll up like our rating in the movie theater. Yeah, to, this like, could be like a haze code thing. Yeah, exactly. They just so, kind of have to keep it mysterious how the yeah. how like the pod version of you takes over. For more episode on the haze code, you should see our collab with Slay Queen. So, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, his lover is taken over. He runs up to the highway acting like a maniac, and he's like, you know, and now I'm here in this police station in a neighboring town. And they're like, wow, okay, so we're going to send you to the hospital because you're fucking nuts. And he's like, no. And then (laughs) as, like, the cop and the psychiatrist who are assessing him are out in the hallway, another, like, cop or medic or somebody brings by a guy on a gurney. And he's like, yeah, he was, like, driving this truck and, you know, he got hit by a Greyhound bus or something like that. And they're like, oh, what was the truck transporting? He's like, oh, I've, you know, I've never seen it before. We had to dig him out from these kind of, like, big seed pods that were coming from, you know, whatever town Miles is from. Yeah. Lamira, Altamira, whatever it's called. Santamira. Santamira. Holy look. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then the cop and the psychiatrist are like, (gasps) dun-dun! He wasn't lying! Yeah, and then actually the cop, like, goes to his subordinates is like, call up the FBI, like, put out a bolo, like, call in absolutely everybody, like, this guy is telling the truth. And it shows Miles looking like simultaneously relieved and tortured that like this is kind of happening all over again but that somebody believes him and like that's the end roll credits so yeah at first i was like okay this is a straightforward story about like the fear that fear that the people like kind of a kind of a red scare fear like fear that the people that you think you know are actually completely different right like this was the time of like the house on american activities committee and like this fear that I don't know. I don't know how, how much bearing this had on everyday life, Fucking but there was kind of like an underlying cultural paranoia about communism and like who is and is not a communist. And Joe like McCarthy. Yeah, exactly. Like the people, people, as you know, them might not be exactly as you know them. And this, I mean, this kind of resonates today. Like you have completely like normal friends and relatives, and then you find out that they're taking like fucking horse dewormer instead of like getting vaccinated and it's like whoa holy shit like my mom recently found out like a friend of hers um she had actually been a patient when she the patient was a teenager she was um she was a teenager and she had what was supposed to be like seriously terminal cancer and my mom was her nurse Mm -hmm. and my mom was like the only member of her medical team that like believed that she would pull through and she did and like Mm -hmm. that was hugely important to this woman and her family yeah and And also to your mom yeah and so they've been friends ever since But my mom was talking about it. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a, uh, uh, an alias for this lady. Let's Susan. Call her, yeah, let's call her Susan like we always do. Yeah. So she's like, Susan posted this. She, my mom was telling me, Susan posted this thing on Facebook about, it was like a clip of the 9-11, like the Twin Towers collapsing. And it was like this long post about how, you know, if you look at the footage, there's actually no airplanes and like, wait until the truth comes out. And so, like, this lady is not even just, like, a like a Bush did 9-11 style truther. Like, this lady doesn't even believe that there were planes involved. Yeah. When we were all there. I was there. You know, I was 10. And I remember seeing the planes go in. It's nuts. It's crazy. And this, like, it's just so odd. Like, we were all there. Like, we all remember. Yeah. Like, I was just watching on Shift, of course, the, you know, those two French documentarians mm-hmm. who were doing a documentary about... FDNY rookies Mm -hmm. and they happened to be shooting some like test footage Mm -hmm. on like the 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 main rookie that they were filming it was like he had just gotten off shift and so the next shift was responded to like a routine gas call Uh and so it was like these two like brothers I think and so the one brother was mostly doing was doing most of the filming and the other brother was still developing his filming skills he's like so okay on our rookies off day I'm gonna practice filming just other routine calls so they were filming this routine gas call on their rookies (sighs) off day 
and they just you see everybody look up because there's the roar of a jet engine and you know like these big planes don't fly in low over manhattan right. so like at least over lower manhattan mm-hmm. so everybody looks up like what the fuck and they actually caught footage of the first plane going in Jesus. and everybody's yeah. just like holy shit everybody piles back into the battalion car and the engine and what have you and you know immediately goes to the scene and it's weird because I was like, I don't know if I've ever seen footage of the first plane going in before. Because I remember getting mm. to school and like seeing, you know, this building on fire. And I remember like it was already it was already news everywhere by the time the second plane went in. So like the second plane went in like more or less on live TV. But anyway, so my mom was like, I thought that I had like this relationship with this normal human woman, and here she is like denying that planes went into the twin towers mm. when we all saw it happen. Yeah. Literally, so, I feel like I feel like the kind of the body snatcher stuff. I feel like it's been remade over and over again, partly because that resonates with people mm-hmm. at so many different times. You know, and now we have a vaccine that people refuse to take, and yeah, yeah, and it's just like I, I feel like I feel like that resonates with us all over again. I think the most recent remake actually was in 2017, which makes sense. Like you, you think you have these normal relationships with people, and they turn out to be completely wacky. And of course, the people on the other side of it feel the same way about us. Yeah, I and, mean, I would. Yeah, I would argue that's why this 1956 version, like, it has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. It has, like, an 80% on Google. Like, it's doing pretty well. But I would argue that that's why it's doing so well, is because it's a story that can be applied to events going on in our life right now. Yeah, whether that's a, a pandemic, whether that's 9-11, whether that's, you know, fill in the blank. Right. Yeah, it's a timeless fear that keeps coming yeah. up again and again. And I, I find it interesting because, like, on the one hand, I don't know, I, I feel like it's a fear that you see, you recognize in yourself, and you also recognize that people have about you, and both of those things are scary. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I realize that there are people in my life for whom, like, my beliefs are completely unrecognizable as having any bearing on reality. And that's mm-hmm. also scary to me. Mm-hmm. Because, like, this movie is about... Like, okay, fear that the people around you are not what they seem and that they've been replaced by some kind of imposter. But also, like, in the scene where the pod people are trying to convince our heroes that it's actually not so bad to be body snatched, you know, um, Miles is like, well, I love Becky. Am I going to feel the same way tomorrow? You know, essentially, if you body snatch me. And they're like, well, we don't have any need for love. And he's like, well, that's awful. And so, like, on the one hand... Like, that's a fear. It's, I don't know, there's kind of this, like, stereotype about communism that, every, that like, equality and, like, shared ownership of the means of production means everybody's the same. Mm-hmm. But also, like, the 1950s was a time of huge social pressure for conformity, especially among white middle class people, yeah. which everybody in this movie is. And so it's like, is this movie about fear that, like, fear that the people around you are being made to be the other? Or is it fear that living your truth is going to cause you to be the other because a lot of people in Hollywood were brought before the house on American activities committee. And so it's honestly not easy to tell like which side is being played in this movie. And arguably like this was also taking place like at the start of like the lavender scare, right? Like, yeah, yes. And also, so, so that message of like, I want to love someone and like, you won't let me love someone. Like that's kind of like, I don't know. That's just something because we're, queers for fears right so we're seeing it through that lens but um if you own queer coded we will damn it hello but um, yeah it, but yeah you know yeah it's hard to tell like is this about fear that people around you are communists or is this like fear mm-hmm. that you living your life is going to get you branded as a communist mm-hmm. and that you have to actually conform to this like model for fear that you will be branded another you know mm-hmm. and then at the same time it also seems to be like there's a prevalent fear especially in like american and 
Russian and Japanese media, honestly, for the past, you know, 70 plus years. Yeah, I was going to say a long time, almost a century. Yeah, because there's this part where they're like trying to theorize about where this came from. And his, you know, ultimately, ultimately, it turns out that like these seed pods grew from seeds that came from outer space. And that is his third guess. But there's the scene where he's trying to guess where they came from, where Miles is trying to guess. And he's like, you know, maybe the result was some kind of atomic radiation, you know, or, or yeah. you know, or maybe from another planet. So, like, I thought it was interesting that his first guess is, like, this is a monster that we created. And it ties back to an earlier part where the psychiatrist, who we later learn has already been body snatched, is like, you know, yeah, I think you hallucinated seeing these doubles. Like, I think the first thing you saw was just a random dead body. And I think you imagined seeing Becky's double in her cellar. And... You know, Miles is like, that's ridiculous. And he's like, the psychiatrist is like, well, you know, doctors can have hallucinations too. And Miles is like, well, I saw this plain as day. And the psychiatrist is like, he delivers this like interesting soliloquy about how mankind can maybe understand everything one day, everything from like the atom to the deepest reaches of space, but we can never understand our own minds. Like humanity can never really understand itself. And so I really liked how he kind of, how Miles kind of called back to that in his first guess at like this unimaginable horror being like something that we accidentally created. And so mixed in with this fear of like, is it the other? Am I going to be made to be an other? You know, is everybody I love secretly an other? There's also this fear that like, is this something that we brought upon ourselves with like a kind of our irresponsible use of our own knowledge and of science, which we don't completely understand ourselves. And yet we're kind of like treating it all like tinker toys. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of very salient fears that still exist 70 years later and that were <laughs> pretty recently starting to be explored in film around this time. And, yeah, I think that's why this movie has such staying power and why it's been remade so many times. Is I think people still, I think all those themes still resonate with people. Yeah. And this is now, you know, six, what, 65 years later? Yeah. My parents are old. <laughs> anyway... Are you ready to hear about legit body snatching? Absolutely. Did you study this in your anthropology classes? Not as such but it is something that i find really interesting yeah. yeah i guess we did talk a little bit about how like the history of like human biology and archaeology and stuff yeah does kind of overlap a lot with body snatching and what book did i read recently where there's a prevalent body snatcher character tale of two cities ah yeah of course feel free to jump in okay um okay so my sources will be linked as usual in the show notes but i'm going to talk about body snatching briefly because like it's a it's a pretty it's been happening since like the 14th century so i had to like cram a lot of information in a short like <laughs> a condensed history yeah exactly a body snatching so Abby. the first known case of body snatching was committed by four medical students in bologna 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 my bologna has a first name <laughs> it's b-o-d-y what is the <laughs> my what is the Italian? Baloney <laughs> has a second name. I don't actually know how the tune goes. I'm not, I'm not toned up. I just what don't know how the tune goes. Italian... It's S-N-A-T-C-H-E-R. What is the Italian city named Bologna? Is it Bologna? Bologna. Bologna. 
1319, and then several years earlier... Remember the time that the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile followed us to Six Flags? Yes, that, that was, was dope. this summer. Carry on. <laughs> uh, several years earlier, the famed professor at Bologna, Moondinus, had received the study and teaching of anatomy, and he conducted public dissections of bodies... And those, <laughs> hey, bro, where'd you get these bodies? Don't worry about it. So back in the day and later on, um, the bodies that we used to dissect were usually criminals that had been executed. However, um, as I'll mention later, the demand, like, thoroughly overwhelmed the supply. So that's why we had this body snatching problem. <laughs> so body snatching, as Britannica defines is the illicit removal of corpses from graves or morgues during particularly the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, People that did this obtained these bodies and then sold them to medical schools so that medical schools could use them in the study of anatomy. In the Devil's Dictionary, the sarcastic lexographer, which if you're not like me and didn't have... you know, have to look it up, because I definitely didn't have to look it up, is someone that creates dictionaries. Ambrose Bierce, which is, like, the dickish name, the most dickish name I think I've ever heard in my life. Define about Ambrose Bierce in a minute. Defined a body snatcher as, quote, one who supplies the young physicians with that which the old physician have supplied the undertaker, end quote. So he linked two things here, though he put it kind of crassly. Uh, one, the demand for fresh bodies in the 18th century um the 18th and 19th century britain and the u.s was created by anatomy professors surgeons and medical students um because like i already mentioned the only bodies legally available for medical dissection were the remains of executed criminals real quick while we're talking about wild names i recently learned about a guy named rex evilsizer Shut up. Yeah. That's fake. No. This is, Evil Sizer is, like, a company that, like, helps, like, trucking companies with their, like, certifications and stuff. What? Anyway. And it was founded by a guy named Rex Evil Sizer. That's crazy. Look! Look, Does he have a name? Or a picture? Evil Sizer. Hang on. About us. Oh, it doesn't have, I don't think it has a picture of him. I really picture, like, the original pioneer. Rex Evil Sizer. <laughs> I picture like a twirly mustache. Like a, you know what I mean? It's a little. Anyway. Is there a picture? No. Oh, okay. God damn. So, until the enactment of the Anatomy Act of 1832 in Britain, taking corpses from graves was not in itself illegal. <laughs> As the corpse had no legal standing and was not, quote-unquote, owned by anyone. <laughs> well, English common law really said, what is he going to do? Take you to court? He's fucking dead. Yeah. <laughs> what was illegal, however, was the dissection of the corpses and the theft of the items other than the corpse itself. So, like, jewelry that the corpse was buried with, gold teeth that the corpse had from dental work, things like that. Uh, physicians and medical students who purchased corpses had little interest in where they came from, and the body snatchers, who were also known as resurrectionists, lol, usually left behind everything except the body in the coffin, while, so, to, like, avoid this felony. Can you imagine? Like, it's okay if someone steals your dead body. What? 
As long as they <laughs> fucking strip you first. I know. What? I was like, um. While body snatching might not have been illegal, the practice was considered morally and religiously reprehensible. So was dissection itself. What? They were like, you can't dissect somebody. What do you, how do you want ungodly. to learn what's in there? That's ungodly. Haven't you read Frankenstein? <laughs> it was not until the late 19th century that medicine finally became widely respected. LOL at that one. Let's all laugh together. Um, but yes. So dissection was in the 18th century viewed as a form of criminal punishment that followed execution. So like you only got dissected if you were up to no good. If you were a real bastard. <laughs> so what am I going to care? Let's talk about body snatchers and their methods. Shall we? Those who obtained corpses for step one, wait until the zombie apocalypse. Step two, acquire a big net. Step three, profit. (laughs) (laughs) Those who obtained corpses for use in medical education included the medical students themselves and middlemen who paid church officials or undertakers for these cadavers. They also included con artists who cleaned the bodies of the poor uh, amateurs who stumbled upon a body or a fresh grave. And that one guy from Tale of Two Cities. Fucking murderers who produced the corpses. Like, you killed somebody oh, and you were like, like integrated here. operations. Yeah, let me just sell this body so I get some money. Um, and professional body snatchers who dug up and removed bodies from graveyards. Although the evidence is incomplete, it is likely that the majority of bodies used in medical schools in Great Britain and the United States in the 18th and early 19th centuries were supplied by body snatchers. Body snatching, as you can imagine, was a pretty lucrative business, paying as much as several months' work of a workman's wages per body. Damn. Like, somebody else does all the work of dying. Wow, it sounds like you should pay people more. Anyway. (laughs) Um... (laughs) We can't hire anyone because no one wants to work. It sounds like the value of labor has gone up and you need to deal with what the free market has decided, my good bitch. Everyone's digging up bodies instead of doing their job. Well, at least that pays better. (laughs) Anyway. um, Remember in the good old days where if you wanted to make a quick buck, you dug up dead bodies instead of exploiting the working class? Just kidding. People were also doing that. Just kidding. That was happening forever. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, there was room at the bottom back in the day. Obviously, however, body snatching is a difficult, arduous, and dangerous crime. Um, body snatches needed to remove the body and deliver it, one, before it was too badly decomposed. Gross. No easy task in the days before bodies were embalmed. For more on embalming, listen to our episode of <laughs> <Burial> Practices. <laughs> They had to avoid detection as they dug the body up and transported it to the medical facility. And there they faced the threat of physical assault um, during what was called the resurrection riots when the snatchers and their... sounds metal as fuck. It does. I want Ghost's next album to be called The Resurrection We are Resurrection Riots and we think you'll like this song. Sponsor us. I'll yeah. see you this winter at anyway. State Arena. Anyway. Anyway. When the Snatchers and their customers were attacked by citizens who, dispro- who disapproved of just body snatching as well as medical dissection, like, in general. Body snatchers frequented graveyards for the poor in Britain and for the poor and African Americans in the United States. 
It is also possible that Jewish cemeteries were popular, as Jewish custom dictates burial within 24 hours of death, Oops. and corpses would therefore be relatively fresh. Oh, no. Yeah, gross. Uh, the graves of the poor were preferred because they were the most unlikely to be guarded by someone yeah. after being buried. Yep. Body snatchers usually worked at night, duh, and in teams, also duh. They preferred graves that were covered roughly so that their work would go undetected. Also, also, duh. Um, contrary to popular depictions, body snatchers would rarely dig up the entire coffin. Instead, they dug a vertical tunnel down to the head end of the coffin. Then they broke the lid and hoisted the body to the surface with a rope or a long metal hook. Huh. The clothes were then tossed back into the coffin, which is what you were talking about, mm-hmm. about them just, like, putting everything back. Um, the tunnel was filled in, and the ground was smooth to make it appear undisturbed. Hmm. The practice of returning the possessions of the deceased to the coffin created an important distinction between body snatchers and grave robbers. Yeah. Because body snatching was fairly common in some places near medical schools, such as in Edinburgh... London and Philadelphia, the relatives of the recently buried often tried to fight off body snatchers. They hired guards to watch over their grades, graves, grades. I'm a teacher, LOL. <laughs> Erected medical cages around graves, used vaults for their dead, uh, placed metal or heavy wooden planks over the coffin to make it more difficult to break into. They filled graves with heavy stones as well. Um, they also tried to deter body snatchers from entering graveyards by building high walls, fixing some broken glass to the top of these walls so no one would want to climb over it, and setting trip lines attached to guns. So people went all out to make sure that their loved ones were not dug up if they could, if they could afford it. I um, guess. But if you're, <laughs> if you're a grave robber and you go to a country that your country owns and the country in question is mostly brown people, then they call you an archaeologist. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Related to body snatching was murder for the purpose of obtaining bodies to sell to medical schools, which I already added. A person murdered for this purpose uh, was said to have been, quote-unquote, burked. Uh, which is named after William Burke, an Irish cobbler who was hanged and dissected in 1829 for his role in murdering and selling the bodies of at least 16 people in Edinburgh. Damn. Burke's accomplices cooperated with the authorities and they avoided punishment. Robert Knox, the autonomous who brought the bodies of the victims, also went unpunished, although his reputation and his career were damaged. Murders for anatomical specimens were documented elsewhere in Britain, Cincinnati, Ohio, and also Baltimore, Maryland, and the United States. These murders were not, unco- were not common, but they always brought about public outrage and played a role in the introduction of legislation that normalized and regulated the procurement of cadavers. Um, so now I'm going to talk about a little bit about the U.S., and then I'm going to talk about cool places to visit regarding body snatching. It's like cool places to body snatch? Yeah. Where are we going with this? Hot tips. Anyway. (laughs) So in 1828 in the United States, the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad revolutionized transportation and 
essentially like knitted America together into a nation because it was so much easier to travel from place to place with these railroads, right? And so there were some unforeseen consequences of building this railroad. Um, one of them was the fact that now if you were a body snatcher, you could dig up a grave quickly and then ship these corpses to metal school, medical school. And this is why grave robbing flourished in Baltimore for more than 70 years. Um, because of this railroad. So Baltimore actually became a center of resurrections as grave robbers referred to their business because a half a dozen medical schools in the city needed a steady supply of corpses. Um, it also helped that the Maryland's largest population center was located in a zone that the temperature was such that people could dig in the winter um, when the ground in New England and the Midwest like was frozen solid, as Ellie and I already know. Hmm. Uh, the plunderers began by shoveling at the head of a freshly buried coffin, breaking the lid, placing a hook around the deceased's neck or armpit, and with the help of a rope, easing the body out of a grave. Um, for shipment elsewhere, fun fact, everybody, the corpses were folded into barrels filled with whiskey to mask the odor, and then at the destination, the medical school took the remains for dissection. However... The rot gut whiskey was sold to all corn, uh, to all comers as quote unquote stiff drinks. That's why that's where the phrase stiff drinks come from. Fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> she didn't like that, folks. She didn't. Like Everyone it. hated that. <laughs> uh, grave robberies and body trafficking for profit were unsurprisingly an Anglo-Saxon phenomena. In Central Europe, the authorities usually distributed unclaimed corpses to medical schools. However, no such mechanism existed in the United States, England, or Scotland, which is where I'm focusing on with these places that you can visit with cool museums and such. Um, medical schools that needed dissection material acquired corpses the best way they could by sending janitors, students, and medical doctors to rob fresh graves. What? <laughs> what? No, thank you. No, thank you. Such pillaging, while technically a misdemeanor, was seldom prosecuted, and politicians protected it in the name of the common good, and the police looked the other way unless they were forced to take action. Lawyers argued that because the previous occupant had vacated the body, its ownership was in doubt. So why bother? There was no victim or, or so lawyers believed and brought up unless a cemetery sued which never happened because many cemeteries were in cahoots of resurrections and got a part of their profit. I was going to say, or it's like the mm -hmm. fucking like churchyard. Where are they going to have enough money to like sue you for a dead body? Who gives a shit? Exactly. So finally, the combination of body snatchings, uh, murder and resurrection riots led to the enactment of the anatomy act in Britain of 1832, similar acts in the United States in subsequent years. Uh, these acts, which were eventually amended and refined over the years, recognized the needs for bodies for medical education and research and sought to control snatching by making more bodies available. Um, at first, it allowed medical schools to take unclaimed bodies of the poor and ill and later requiring family permission before a body could be taken. So think about people that, like, will their body to science after they pass away, for example. 
And although these laws had some effect by making more bodies available, it was really embalming, which was in regular use by the 1880s, which enabled medical schools to keep bodies for months that led to the demise of body snatching. However, body snatching did continue to occur throughout the late 18th century. For example, in 1875, the bodies of typhoid-affected students at a Canadian convent school were stolen before relatives could arrive to claim them as their loved, long, their loved ones. And as recently as fucking 2006, four men were charged with body stealing. They had been selling body parts that they had obtained without consent from corpses in morgues and funeral homes in New York City. Uh, the body parts were sold for transplant and medical study. So you could say that the dark practice continues to haunt the dead today. And so I wanted to talk about some cool places to visit. So I think I want to do like three. Um, so since most of my notes talked about England, most of these places are going to be in England. But um, the first one I wanted to talk about is the St. Thomas Operating Theater. And this was just a place where people were fucking dissected. Um, they would take stolen cadavers here. And they would have been dissected for anatomy lectures. So there's, like, benches for students to sit. And then in the center, there's just a plate, uh, you know, an autopsy bench um, for that corpse to be dissected. And that's St. Bartholomew's Hospital Pathology Museum in London. I'm going to include uh, pictures. All this is from Atlas Obscura, of course. Um, but, yeah, so St. Bartholomew's was one of London's... Um, reputable institutions to purchase stolen bodies and um in this article it talks about how body snatchers were like the lowest of low criminals um they were just they just had a really negative connotation amongst people um okay so the next one i want to talk about is in edinburgh scotland the surgeon's hall museum and this one's cool because it has, like, death masks, which I always think are cool. Um, newspapers ran a, a salacious story of two murderers supplying the vicious field of surgery. And then there were copycats that followed this. Um, so, like, Burke, if you know anything about, like, serial killers, Burke and Hare are who this like museum is like basically made about um the london burkers were arrested in 1831 for similar murders however two young boys discovered dolls depicting burke and Hare's victims that were hidden in a park which is fucking creepier mm. almost than murdering people in my opinion <laughs> um and whoever made the dolls is still unknown um, so here are some of the dolls are like in coffins. Like I said, Oh yeah. I feel like I've heard about this before. It's creepy as fuck. It is very creepy. I'm going to post it on the gram. Don't worry, everybody. <laughs> Murder dolls for the gram. Uh huh. There's this, there's a hell of a lot. Um, the next one I want to talk about is in Pennsylvania. I wanted to do one stateside, but, um, the museum of morning arch morning spelled M O U R. Of what? course. That sounds metal as fuck. Doesn't it? There. Can we go anyway? 
definitely. So, um, that field trip. Hell yeah. Though the phenomenon of grave robbing is most often linked to the UK, it certainly occurred in the United States. Human remains that were believed to be stolen have been found in a variety of medical institutions from the Medical College of Georgia to Harvard University. <laughs> While corpses stolen in the US were more often snatched from black cemeteries, gee, I wonder why, Ellie, <laughs> and Potter's Fields, there was at least one occasion of body snatching from the cemetery of, at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery and another one in New York's historic Trinity Churchyard. Both of these, unsurprisingly, caused a greater stir than the theft of any poor person of color's body. Hmm. How many episodes have we done where the real horror is racism? Exactly. This, so this is a cemetery gun that was used to guard some fucking graves from body snatchers, <laughs> um, which is pretty cool. And there's like, like this article has a whole bunch more that I haven't talked about, but I highly recommend that you check it out because it's a really cool article and I love Atlas Obscura. I have the book. I'm like looking at it in my living room right now. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was, I just like, there's so much information about this and I had to like cap it at like half an hour, but, um, it was so interesting. Ali, do you have anything else to add? Hmm. Oh, I just wanted to say real quick that cop delusion is, uh, it's usually a symptom of something else, including like Louis body or schizophrenia. And it's where you like believe that someone in your life is like actually dead or has been replaced by a double mm-hmm. or something. And yeah. It's a real thing. There's Wikipedia articles on it. I almost talked about that for this movie sewed, but there wasn't like enough. Yeah, it's um there. Yeah, I feel like it's not super well researched. It's not, and it's not very common because, as a result of this, of it not being super researched. Yeah. So, but anyway, I I real I remembered that I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, and then I like did not explain it or come back to it at all. But uh. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's it's interesting that that's such a deep root fear. And there's like, of course, these theories about like, oh, it has something to do with like damage to the memory center of your brain or like the vision center of your brain. And I don't know. I like to think that it's just an incredibly deep seated fear that like, I don't know, things things are not as they seem. It's just like such a common theme of horror and like parapsychology and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I would give this movie. I really liked it. I would give it three and a half stars. Yeah, I would give it three and a half stars. I really liked the theme. It was sort of a a first in the theme of of like body snap. I don't know. You yeah, know what I mean, it was like it was like the first one, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely the oldest like cultural touchstone for this particular obviously yeah. very deep seated fear. Don't worry if you're like, wow, I wish they would talk about the lavender scare. It's coming, everybody. It's coming. <laughs> it's on my list of things that I want to talk about. So. I think we talked about it a little bit in our collab with Slay Queens. We have. We've talked about it a little bit, but I wanted to do a deep, a deep dive on it. So, yeah. You know, it works for me. I know. I know. You're just here, like, just to vibe with me. <laughs> um... We just want to say thank you for all your patience and your support. Um, like I, like we mentioned last episode, we're getting used to Ellie being in school for paramedic school, me going back to like regular in-person school instead of virtual learning. So we've both had like a pretty intense shift 
in our jobs and our schedules. So uh, we appreciate the support. We appreciate the patience. And um, if you want to find us on the internet, Ellie can tell you all about that. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Patreon, Queers for Fears Podcast, on Twitter at Queers for Fears Pod. You can email us, podcastqueersforfears at gmail.com. Uh, and we also have a website, queersforfears.com. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And now I'm yawning because it's 9-12. It's after her bedtime. <laughs> I have like a whole week. It's like 15 minutes away from so my bedtime. So today is my like regular day off for the month. And then I also <laughs> traded my Thursday shift away because I'm going to Providence for Alyssa's 30th birthday this weekend. Like Rhode Island? Yeah. So like my dear friend whose idea of a good time when we were in our 20s was like key bump and dancing all night long is now like, let's go to Providence and check out some B&Bs. And like, welcome to our 30s hardcore. So I'm not going to be at work for a week for like the first time since I got hired. And I'm like, who's going to bake cookies if I'm not there? Nobody's going like, to be fine. Gonna go back and you're, they're going to be like, we miss your cookies. And that's, they're going to have them right where you want them. That's the idea. Yeah. We'll see how that works out for yeah. me. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. Stay creepy. Stay queer. Stay out of trouble, especially body snatching related trouble. Please don't dig up a body. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye.